Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'd like to welcome author David Tuttle to the Reader House Author Roundtable. David, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, Thank you for having me. You've just released a new book through Fulton Books. It's titled Soul Licensed Tips and Tales. Can you tell me all about this? Well, basically, it's a book that kind of gives people an idea that there's something more to this world than uh, just physical things. And there's a spiritual area there that I think a lot of people don't recognize. The book, I think I wrote it for so they would have hope that there was something out there because I've seen people that were afraid of death. So through the book, I basically takes you through my personal travels and instances, and plus a lot of other things that wraps a lot of things into a small book. David, when you were writing this, did you have a certain group of readers in mind for it? Basically, I wrote it for everyone. Everyone will get something out of this book, regardless of whether they follow uh, the steps in the book, uh, just in following my personal experiences. It'll give them questions that they may not have had before. I'd say it's a general audience. Hmm. Can you think back to where you got the idea or the inspiration to write this? I basically got it from my spirit guides. They kept telling me to write something. I had written a little blog back in 2012, and I thought that would do it. But I was on vacation in Michigan. I saw a storefront that said they had a psychic there, and I thought it'd be fun to get a psychic reading. And one of the things this uh, psychic told me was that my spirit guides wanted me to uh, write something more. And I had been receiving email prompts from a well-known psychic uh, that he was having a writing class before that. And I was just ignoring them. But with this psychic telling me that they wanted me to write something, I went ahead and joined the class. And about two years later, the book was done, Hmm. long after the class was over. (laughs) So this is your first published work then? Yes, it is. Congratulations. What was it like whenever you got to hold that first copy in your hands? Well, actually, I was surprised because I've written a book that's compact. It's not as small, it's not as large as your uh, book you might imagine, but it contains quite a bit of information that I believe will help everybody. I've read books in the past where you have to read through a lot of pages before you get to something that will benefit you. I'm more of a bottom line writer, so I just wrote as my inspiration set it up, and that's what came forth. David, have you given any thought to writing more and publishing more? Not at this time. I had a few books that I was thinking about some years back, but I think the time has passed for those, and we'll just see where this one goes. A lot of our listeners are aspiring authors looking to get their book out there. What words of advice would you give them? I would give them the advice to go ahead and start and write, and then follow inspiration. Write when you're inspired, and not just to fill up papers and pages. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author, having a book out there for the world? For me, it's uh, the opportunity to help a lot more people on their spiritual paths, you know, and just having a better life than uh, when you just come in contact with people. And I think it uh, has the potential to help quite a few people. Hmm. 
I talk to an awful lot of authors who are avid readers. What kind of a reader are you? Oh, I like to read quite a bit. I used to uh, read history novels or history things and stuff like that and adventure type things. Now, I'm, of course, I've read a, quite a few spiritual books. I think I've uh, run out of spiritual books to read pretty much. <laughs> so I read now. I'm an amateur athlete. So I read people on bicycle trips across the country or across Europe or something and things about running and skiing, things like that, just as a sideline. I imagine we have a lot of listeners who are interested now. They're doing some soul searching and they like what they hear. So in closing here, what final words would you have to tell them about soul licensed tips and tales? I think I would tell them if you had had any fears of death in your life, read this book. And if you want to uh, learn about different techniques, spiritual, mental, and energy that will help you quite a bit, this also will be good for them. I would encourage them to buy it. They won't regret it. And it's called Soul Licensed, Tips and Tales. It's written by David Tuttle and is published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, thank you for joining me on the show here, David. I had a nice time talking with you and learning about Soul Licensed. Well, thank you, Corey. Kenny the Koala and the Birthday Surprise. That's the new book by Nadia Merriam. And she's sitting here right now with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. Can you tell me all about Kenny the koala and the birthday surprise? Of course, I would love to. Thank you. Well, Kenny the koala and the birthday surprise is a fun-loving children's book where the main character, Kenny, who is just the cutest little koala bear ever, wakes up super excited because it's his birthday. The readers get to go along with Kenny on this journey of his to invite all of his friends to his birthday party. And as you go through the story, you will see Kenny's attempts to invite his friends are not going as well as he had hoped. But by the time Kenny and the readers get to the end of the story, they learn, even though there are times where everything does not go as planned, those times can actually be the best times. Kenny thought everyone had forgotten about his birthday, but did they? <laughs> Nadia, whenever you were writing Kenny the Koala and the Birthday Surprise, did you have a certain group of readers in mind? I do. I have some targeted readers for Kenny the Koala and the Birthday Surprise. They're elementary school-age children, three to six years old, where the parents can carve out some special time and read with their children. It's also great for upper elementary kids who are learning to read on their own, and are looking to meet some of their reading goals. And what I did not mention earlier is there is a rhythm to the book with respect to the words. Hmm. And there's even a little jingle in the book. And if I may add a personal note, I have a niece who has Down syndrome. And I read her this story before it manifested into a book. And she loved it. Oh, wow. In fact, my sister called me on the phone shortly after to share with me that she heard my niece singing the little jingle in the book. Aww. And yeah, and at that moment, that was a moment when I knew I wanted this book to not only be a blessing to me and my family, but to families all around the world. Hmm. What was it like then after all that time and hard work put into this when you held the book in your hands for the first time? Can you describe that? <laughs> oh my goodness. When I held my book, Kenny the Koala and the Birthday Surprise for the very first time, I was elated. I, I was proud and grateful and 
It just confirmed the scripture that I live by and will continue to live by, Philippians 4.13. You know, I encourage listeners to look that scripture up and relish in how they feel when they read it. It's very powerful. Nadia, can you think back to who or maybe what was your inspiration to write this book? Oh, absolutely. My inspiration for my three daughters. Mm. They inspire me so much day by day. I have three beautiful daughters. And this story actually, believe it or not, began 20 years ago. Mm. (laughs) Yes, I was pregnant with my first daughter. So let that be inspiration to someone that it is never too late, never with the capital N. I was sitting at home at the kitchen table and I just felt the need to commemorate something. You know, I thought "Mm, instead of telling her a story or reading someone else's book, why not write a book of my own? And so I did. And with my second daughter came my second story. And with my third daughter came my third story. The second and third stories are now lined up to be published. And I'm super excited about that. That's wonderful. Now Mm -hmm. that you've done that, you're a published author now. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being published? Oh, my goodness. Good question. The most rewarding aspect of becoming an author It's actually having a piece of work to leave for my children and their children and so on and so on. And just seeing the happiness and the joy on the proud faces of my girls and my family as a whole, I would say that was the most rewarding aspect during this process. In the publishing process, it's a big learning experience for most of us. Do you have any words of advice for the aspiring authors who are listening? I do. I would say, do it. Don't hold back. I know sometimes it seems hard or daunting. And maybe I would suggest to try and switch your thinking. You know, see things that we need to do in a different light. I know things that we need to do, we get done. And things that we want to get done, mm, we allow ourselves the option to accomplish it or not accomplish it. So my advice would be to take writing your book off the want to do list and place it on the need to do list, because feeling the need to write your book will lessen the excuses you give yourself and opening your eyes to opportunities that have always been right there waiting for you to seize. Seize your moment. That's great advice. Thank you. The name of the book is Kenny the Koala and the Birthday Surprise. This is written by Nadia Merriam, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for books. Well, Nadia, thank you for joining me here again today. I, I had a really nice time speaking with you and finding out about your book. It was my pleasure. I appreciate the time. I Pray Because I Can't Do Life Alone, a collection of poems. That's the new book by author Clay Cantrell, and I'm talking with Clay here right now. Clay, thank you for joining me here tonight. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This collection of poems, I pray because I can't do life alone. Can you tell me all about this? Well, it's primarily poems about the way I dealt with feelings, questions I've had as I dealt with overcoming addiction and depression through a relationship in Jesus Christ. As thoughts came into my mind, as questions came in, I sat down and wrote, primarily in the form of poetry. It comes easier to me that way. Mm. How long did this take you to put together? Uh, Well, it took a lifetime to get the experiences that go behind it, Mm. but the 
poetry I started writing about 10 years ago. Is there any group of readers that you had in mind when you were putting this out? Yeah, it would be focused at mature Christians, beginning Christians, active or recovering addicts or alcoholics, or just people that enjoy thought-provoking reading. There's a lot of inspiration and a lot of things that make you want to think about it a little while. Clay, can you think back to when you got the idea or the inspiration to release this as a book? Well, I've always had thoughts and questions that I wanted to get out. And as I said, for me, poetry was the best way to get that out. And as I started to share a little bit with close friends, they encouraged me to uh, maybe put a book together. Hmm. And as I prayed on it, I felt the nudge from God to yeah, do it, so I did. So we're going to see what happens now. Yeah, I'm glad you did. So is this your first published work then? Yeah, it is the first published book. Well, that's wonderful. What advice now could you give people who are looking maybe to publish their first book? Well, the best thing I could say is write about what you love. Write about what comes naturally to you. It shouldn't be a struggle to write. It should come naturally and flow very smoothly. Hmm. Have you given any thought or consideration to maybe putting another book together and publishing more in the future? Well, I'm always writing in order to empty my mind. I write the poetry and thoughts as a release, and it's kind of comforting to me. Hmm. So the material's there. To put it out in a published book, I would Pray about it and, and try to seek God's guidance on whether I should release it or just it's something I keep to myself. But the material's there for another book, yeah. When you're writing your poetry, is there a certain maybe time or place that you like to do that at, or do you write sort of whenever the inspiration hits you? Yeah, it's whenever it hits me. I've actually, and sometimes it hits in pieces, random thoughts. Sometimes it's a complete poem that comes very fast, and I have actually pulled off in a rest area on 85 to write it before it left me. So it's very random. I don't really know when the thoughts are going to come. I always try to capture them when they do. So after so long of writing these poems and then putting it in book format, releasing it to the world, what was it like then when you got that first copy holding it in your hands? To be honest, it was no more than, wow, this is not very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an accomplishment until I see results. And the results that I would like to see is people inspired by the book, people's lives changed by the book, and people led to Jesus and having a relationship with our maker. Then it's a wow moment. Would you say then that maybe the most rewarding aspect of publishing for you is the thought that you are reaching out and you are potentially helping others? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's the intention of the book, to reach people, people in low places that need some, to, to need to know that other people have been there and they've come back. People that are looking for some uh, comfort, they can find it in Jesus Christ. And in these poems, it's not so much a sermon. It's more of a description of what I went through, what I felt, and the things that Jesus helped me to get through. 
I know there are a lot of us out there who are feeling beaten down, who are feeling alone, and this book sounds like this just might be the thing for us. It's called I Pray Because I Can't Do Life Alone, a collection of poems. This is written by Clay Cantrell, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you buy books. Well, Clay, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for reaching out and looking to help others through your poetry. I had a really nice time talking tonight. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Have a blessed day. I'm really happy to be sitting down right now with author Gonzalo Munavar here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Gonzalo, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm pleased to be here. I'm really excited that you have a new book out right now. It's called Alex in Femiland, a politically incorrect novel of morals. This sounds really interesting. What can readers expect? Well, the plot itself is about a South American physicist who works at Harvard doing advanced research and moves to Washington State to a place called the Sound College so he can be near his son. This is after his ex-wife moves to Seattle. This is 1989. This is the beginning of the takeover by the politically correct of academia. He's never encountered really political correctness, let alone the cult of victimhood. And so he makes fun of them. And that makes him an enormous number of enemies. For example, they are discussing at a faculty meeting, lowering the quality of the work that the students have to do in order to get credit as long as they are students of color, as they say. So this is a proposal that, by the way, is being advanced all over the country now in K-12. So students of color don't have to really get a C as the other students. If they do C work, they will give a B, and if they do D work, they will get a C. This is the proposal being made now, things of that sort. But it was already started to be made there. And when he hears this, he says something like, so are you telling me that being Hispanics makes us retards? You know, he finds this absolutely unimaginable that anyone could propose this. So anyway, the word gets around that his behavior is incompatible with what is expected of a person of a faculty of color. And he makes lots of enemies among the activists, particularly the feminist activists. So this leads to false charges of sexual harassment. And they have what in those days was called the affirmative action officer, which is the equivalent today of the Title IX officer. And this woman violates the truths, violates due process, violates the Bill of Rights. By the way, that is the law now, uh, although the vote tried to change it. So, for example, if you are accused of having assaulted a woman on campus, I mean, if you are a professor or a, or a male student, you are not entitled, for example, to cross-examine her or to have your lawyer cross-examine her. You are not allowed to. You are not allowed to process. In some schools today, you may be thrown out of the school not knowing what the accusations against you were. Well, 1989, that was when the whole thing was beginning, maybe a couple of years before. But that's when the hero of the novel finds it to begin with. So he fights back. His students at first support him, but eventually this leads to a massive attempt to destroy Alex, is the person's name, well, Alejandro, but Alex for short, to destroy his work, his career, his life. And this is a book that explains how the radical left took over academia and all the enormous harm that it caused. Have you ever written before? Is this your first book? I have published eight academic books about science. 
and two novels. This is my second novel. Mm. And so I have a long history of publishing. And are you planning more after this to continue publishing? I have two books in the works. One of them is a book about space exploration Mm. that is almost done. Maybe in a month or so I will be completely done with it. And the other one is another novel called The Night of of the Red Moon. Mm. It's a novel that takes place in Colombia, where I'm I'm from. So I, I do have those two books, and I'm also writing poetry and other things. I'm retired, but I still do research in neuroscience, bipolar disorder, and on consciousness, the neuroscience of those. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called Alex in Femiland, a politically incorrect novel of morals, written by Gonzalo Munavar and published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere that you get books like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores everywhere. Gonzalo, thank you for joining me tonight. I had a very nice time talking with you. Okay, thank you very much. Would you like to live a bigger life? Well, I have a book here that just might help you do that. It's called Living a Bigger Life. The author, Tammy L. Wark, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Tammy, thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you very much. Can you tell me all about what you've written in Living a Bigger Life? Well, this book is really about the challenges that I went through in my life. They're actual events. I really went through eight years of very, you know, a very difficult time. I homeschooled my son. My son got very involved in drugs. And it just shows how powerful prayer can be and how it can change lives and how you can use your challenge to, you know, turn around and use it to help others. Hmm. Did you have a certain group of readers in mind for this? Uh, Well, I would love teenagers to read it, but also anybody who feels like they're stuck in a rut or stuck in their, you know, something not changing, they can't get through their challenge, and just, you know, to bring hope to them that they can't get through their challenge. Hmm. About how long were you working on this? Uh, I probably worked on it maybe six months. Um, It didn't really take too long to do this. Um, I kind of knew the events I wanted to write about. And um, once I started to write it, it kind of went kind of quickly, actually. That's great. Is this the first time you've written or been published? Uh, it is my first book, yep. And I never even thought I would ever write a book. I never thought I would write about the things that happened in my life. And then one day it just seemed that I needed to tell my story. Mm. What would you say was the most challenging part of putting the story on paper and then releasing it to the world? Well, for me, it was very challenging to almost like relive what I went through, especially mm the chapters with my son. It was almost like going through it again because it just was very, very difficult. And I didn't even really know if I wanted to tell everybody about these things. That was the hardest part, Mm. was actually really writing it and letting people know about it. Then when you got that first copy in your hands, what was that like? Well, I couldn't believe that I actually wrote a book because (laughs) I don't even think of myself as a writer. I just had this one story to tell. So it seemed like a very big accomplishment for something that I did. It's almost like I did something I never dreamed I would do. Mm -hmm. Would you do it again? Have you given any thought to writing more and maybe getting published more in the future? Well, a few people have asked me if I would do another story because I kind of ended it not telling what I went on to do or what my son went on to do. Um, He had a very good friend who was homeless and they kind of wanted to know what did he end up doing. So I probably will do something else in the future, maybe not even a book, but in a different way, 
maybe like a YouTube channel or something to tell people what has happened and developed with everybody. Well, Tammy, it's fantastic that you've used all of the challenges and struggles in your past to reach out and help others. And I know there are a lot of people listening right now who also have a story that they want to tell. They want to help people, too. What advice could you give to these aspiring authors? Well, if they have a story to tell, and, you know, I never thought I would tell anybody my personal problems or challenges. You know, if you really wanted to tell your story to people, to just remember the events that happened, how you got through your challenge, and you don't have to write a book, you could write a book, but there are many other ways you could help and tell your story to help others. All the time and all the hard work makes it so worth it once you get your book out there. To you, what's the most rewarding aspect of it all? My hope is that it gives people hope, that Mm. it gives people hope that they can get through their challenge, that they can, the power of prayer can change lives. I've seen it change lives, change my son's life. And just to put their hope is number one in God, and he will help you through your challenge. Now, Tammy, when you sit down to write, is there a special time and place that you usually like to do it, or do you just kind of write as it comes to you? Well, it's so strange. I would wake up at four in the morning, every morning, and I would know what to write that day. I would get up and I would write two or three chapters that day, and then I'd go to work. And I did that for months. You know, I kind of broke down the events that happened in my life in the chapters, so I knew what I was going to write. But each day I had a certain thing that I wanted to write that day. Mm. Again, Tammy, thank you for using what you've gone through in your life to reach out and to help others who are going through many of the same challenges. The name of the book is Living a Bigger Life. It's written by Tammy L. Wark, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for your books. Tammy, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a great time meeting you, learning about living a bigger life, and can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was nice to talk to you. When you hear the word Christian, what do you think of? You probably ask a lot of different people, and you're going to get a lot of different answers. And that's the gist behind Brian Burns' new book, Christian, Not of This World. Brian is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Now, can you tell me what you've written about in your book, Christian, Not of This World? I tried to paint a picture of how the scriptures reveal the Christian in the first century. Can I paint you a picture? If you think of a great wheel, around the wheel, around the rim, are all the churches, denominations, single, many, thousands and thousands of them, all around the rim. But in the center, at the hub, right in the middle, there is the basic faith who we are as Christians according to how the Lord intended it, how the Spirit painted it, and how the apostles proclaimed it. And what I've tried to do in the book is to go back to the center. Mm -hmm. What is a Christian as the Scriptures reveal him to be? That's the subject of the book. Brian, can you go back and think to where you got the idea or the inspiration to write this? That's a bit hard to say. I've written a number of books. This is the fourth, and the second one was called Disciple. But even then, I wanted to find some basis for who we really are. And I can't tell you where it came from. It's been there, this need to go back to the beginning and define what the church is and what a Christian is and what a disciple is. I can't tell you where it came from. 
You know, this is certainly something that's important. Christianity is a term that just seems to be so diluted anymore. Like I said, I think it means something different to everybody you ask. That's about right. It's about right. It's, it's like individuals have taken a little bit of truth from the middle. They packaged it in tradition. They misinterpreted it in many cases, and they've made into it a denominational package that is quite different from what was first intended. Mm. One of the chapters in the book is called Heart God's, The Lord's Heart Cry, and I believe there's a great grief in heaven itself because of the body, which is no longer a body. Do you know about how long it took you to put this all together and get it out to the world? Somewhere between nine and 12 months. But the ideas have been brewing in my mind for a very long time. I'm 87 years old. I've been around, done a few things, and... Everywhere I find the same, no, not everywhere, but many places I find the same lethargy in the church, the same dependence upon the status quo. So mm-hmm. slowly, slowly, the ideas came together and I wrote. Was there a certain group of readers that you had in mind when you put this out? Well, I think Christians everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere, any denomination from Catholic to Episcopalian to Southern Baptist to Pentecostal Baptist. Brethren, you name it, everyone, the whole lot. I really want a Christian to pick it up and say, who am I, and then go looking. But there's another group that I would love to have it, have them read it, and that's the leaders. Mm. The leaders, the bishops, the archbishops, the pastors, the priests, because they're the ones who format much of what the church believes. And I would love them to take it and say, Lord, what are you saying to me about who I really am and who I should be teaching these people? Yeah, they're the audience. Everybody, Christians everywhere. Brian, you said Christian Not of This World is your fourth book. So uh, looking ahead, do you plan on to continue writing and continue publishing? That's a big temptation because at the moment, those four books are finished. Hmm. But My focus now is on a part of what's written in the Scripture when Paul said we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air, and then there's going to be tribulation, there'll be judgment, the judgment seat, the Lord will return, there'll be a thousand-year kingdom, and that whole period, which is sort of pretty clear, it could be begin any time between now and tomorrow. It's so close. So my whole attention now is on that period from now until the end of the great kingdom. Whether that issue is in a book, I don't know. Certainly I'm writing a course on that subject. That's wonderful. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called Christian, Not of This World. It's written by Brian Byrne and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere that you shop for books, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Brian, thank you again for joining me here tonight at the show. I had a great time discussing Christian Not of This World and a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you, Corey. I'm really happy to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Professor Joe Arthur. Joe, welcome back. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you for having me again. You've got a nonfiction book out right now called Did I Ever Tell You About My Grandfather? What can readers expect with it? It's actually three stories in one. It's, first of all, the story of my grandfather leaving Eastern Europe and coming to the United States. He did not know the language. He did not know the money. And the family that was supposed to greet him, whoops, 
missed him. Mm-hmm. And he struggled on his own for eight years, learning and becoming an American. He finally meets his family, marries, has children, has my mother. My mother has me. And my childhood was not a pleasant one. Mm-hmm. My mother's husband was a bit on the abusive side. And my grandfather was there and very, very supportive. My grandfather gave me a lot of life lessons that he learned along the way. And it's because of his life lessons that I became successful. My father, my mother's husband, did not want me. I'm actually the product of rape. Mm. My father's mantra was basically, on your 16th birthday, I'm throwing you out like the trash you are. And on my 16th birthday, the locks in the house were changed, and I was homeless for three years. If it wasn't for the lessons that my grandfather taught me, I don't think I would have ended up as a college professor. Wow. I don't think I would have had the strength and the belief in myself, the self-value and the self-importance that would have given me strength. And I was able to use these lessons as a teacher. Not only was I teaching science, but I was also teaching life. And I was teaching in just outside of Baltimore in an area called Prince George's County in Maryland. And the graduation rate for the students was not very high. But because of my learning from my grandfather and my belief that my students are important and my students are valuable, I instilled that in them. Over 80% of my students graduated and went on to go to college. Wow. And it would not have been possible if it was not for my grandfather. And frequently I would start telling people about my, you know, uh, lessons that I learned from him with the line, hey, did I ever tell you about my grandfather? Mm. And I was told, hey, one day you've got to write a book. Hey, did I ever tell you about my grandfather? So I did what I was told. Mm. (laughs) Joe, did you have a certain group of readers in mind that you think would really be into this? Basically, I would think high school students and young adults Students leaving high school, getting ready to go into the world themselves, or junior high school students getting ready to go into college. It's sort of that chrysalis stage where the caterpillar changes into the butterfly, Mm -hmm. trying to help them mature so that they can spread their wings and become a successful person. Being such a personal book, did this take you a long time to write? Was this easy for you to do? It actually was very easy and cathartic because my best friend, John, who has been with me since I was 17, knew most of the stories of of, of what was going on. And during the pandemic, we basically wrote it together over the phone. Mm. I have to thank John for his constant and never-ending contributions. Joe, it seems like you have so much wisdom, so much to give the world. What's next? Do you have any plans for more writing, more publishing? I have another children's book coming out shortly. Do you remember The Last Dragon of the Sea, which is about extinction? Mm. And I recently, I love aquariums and I love zoos. And I recently, my grandfather got me into zoos and aquariums. Surprise. (laughs) And I recently went on a 21 zoo and aquarium trip in, took me from June 15th to July 15th. Wow. And I'm writing a book, Is It Wetter Underwater Than It Is at the Zoo? Which is about my experience at the zoos and the aquariums and some of the people that I met along the way some of the conversations and some of the things that I realized about how different people are, but how the same we are, how we're all individuals, but we're all part of the common group, the family of humans. Hmm. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called 
Did I Ever Tell You About My Grandfather? It's written by Professor Joe Arthur and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Again, you can find this book everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores everywhere. Joe, thank you again for joining me tonight. Thank you that you have such a heart for giving and for helping others, you know, using those really difficult experiences that you had growing up to help others. And I had a really great time chatting tonight. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And may you stay healthy, grow strong, love and be loved. Jemima Kareen is the author that I'm talking to right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jemima, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. You've got a new book out through Christian Faith Publishing. It's titled Ever Strange. Can you tell me about it? Yes. This book is told from the perspective of a teenage girl. Her name is Ever Rose, and she is changing more than most high school students. She keeps having a recurring dream that she doesn't fully grasp. But when she meets the boy of her dream on the first day of her sophomore year, she comes to realize that it was actually more than a dream, possibly an actual event that happened. What kind of readers did you write this for? Mostly preteen to adult. I mean, we all know life isn't a good time always, and sometimes we feel a little strange among our peers. Mm. And this is relatable to a lot of people because we're all uncertain at times. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing? No. Congratulations. So uh, what was it like when you got that first one in your hands? It was both scary and exciting. You know, exciting because somebody thought it was worth publishing, but scary because you never know what other people are going to say when they read it. Can you think back to how you got the idea for the story in Ever Strange? Yeah. First, I had an idea trying to figure out things and had a scene playing through my head. And I tried to figure out how the characters would get to that point and where it would lead to from that point. And then once I had my basic plot, I just started at the beginning and tried to connect the dots. Mm. How long did it take you to complete? A few years, mm. <laughs> actually. As a busy mom of five, I did most of my writing at night when the kids went to bed. So there were weeks where the ideas just percolated in my head. And then after a while, when I knew what I wanted to say and where it was going, I'd start writing again. Mm. Was writer's block something that you were dealing with often? Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you have any tricks, any strategies that would get you out of that? Not really. I just kind of think of the, what the characters were doing in certain situations and once they become real to you, once the characters take on a mind of their own, then you can see how they would react to certain situations or how they would respond to each other. Hmm. Have you given any thought to writing more after this, maybe a sequel or doing something else? Yes, I actually started. I wanted to see where the story would go, hmm. and I, I thought there was some unanswered questions in the first one. So I'm only about halfway through it, but there is so much more that these characters are going to go through and learn. And who knows, it may lead to a series or something. So you've just been published for the first time, and I'm sure it was quite a learning process. What words of advice could you give to aspiring authors? Keep telling your stories. Write them down. Even if it's just a few ideas here or there, you never know what God can do with it. Did you have people around you in your life who could be your support or motivation through it? Yes. Mostly my mother and my sister. Mm. They would read what I wrote and they would comment back, give me constructive criticism and 
things like, oh, this is great. You know, it would be interesting if such and such happened, how they would respond to it. And that normally helped me through my writer's block. A lot of times authors tend to be big readers. What kind of a reader are you? Oh, I'm a huge reader. I have so many books covering so many subjects. Hmm. Do you gravitate towards the kind of thing like you've written with Everstrange or are you more diverse? I'm very diverse. When it comes to reading fiction, I like sci-fi, but I love biographies, self-help books, even stuff on health and natural remedies such. When you think to yourself, wow, now I have a book out there, now I'm officially a published author, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of that? The fact that maybe I can make an impact on someone's life. Maybe mm -hmm. they're going through something and they read my book and they're like, hey, that's not a bad idea. Maybe that'll work in my situation. The book is called Ever Strange. It's written by Jemima Kareen and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for your books. Jemima, thank you for joining me here again tonight. I had a nice time learning about Ever Strange. I'm excited to see where you go next, and I had a really nice time chatting. Thank you. It's a fresh, encouraging, and fun way for your child to learn a very important biblical task. It's in the new book by Andy L. Mabry. It's titled Armor of God. I'm really happy that Andy is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Andy, thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me what readers can expect in Armor of God? You know, it is, I'm just hoping that this can teach children how to arm themselves because I feel like a lot of our littles are under attack now. Not more than ever, but Satan's always prowling. So I'm just hoping that they can memorize it and they can read it with their parents and eventually know how to use each piece of armor and put it on every day. Hmm. How young of readers do you think would benefit the most? You know, kids are, they absorb a lot of information. And so as young as you want. I have little niece and nephew that I read it to, and she's only six months old, and then he's three. So, yeah. Where did the inspiration to write this come from? It just kind of comes to me. I know definitely I had taught a Sunday school class when I had to kind of create my own curriculum, this was the first thing that I started doing is the armor of God, because I knew that it would last about six weeks. And I learned a lot through it, as well as my little soldiers. It was a neat experience for both of us. And then later, it just kind of started flowing. And I thought that would be helpful for Sunday schools and for just little kids in general. Hmm. Is this your first time venturing into the arena of publishing? I had a poem published years and years ago in a book called The Golden Years, and it was about just raising your little people and how these are truly the real golden years. But other than that, yeah, this is the first illustrated book I've ever published. That's fantastic. It's a huge accomplishment. When you got this first copy in your hands, what was that like for you? You know, it was interesting because I didn't quite expect it. I didn't know what the package was. And my girlfriend, my best girlfriend, was over visiting and my husband was there. And I opened the package just as we were visiting and pulled out one of the books. And so it was really special to me because they were both there and, and she bought my very first copy. Mm. So that was exciting to know <laughs> that this could be something powerful mm. to share with others. Yeah. When it comes to writing the book and then having it published, getting the illustrations all set, all of that, did this take you a long time to do? You know, writing the book was about 15 minutes. 
<laughs> publishing <laughs> took about two years. Mm. So it was really crazy. We did it through the pandemic. And I don't know if that was part of the communication and, you know, just the slowing of everything. But it did take a long time. Just the details. It's amazing how much you have to communicate and just go through the details in editing and in illustrating and then, you know, just your cover, all of that. There's a lot of work that goes into a little 12-paged illustrated book. I guess it's 22 pages. What are the chances you would do it again? Have you given any thought to writing, publishing more? You know, I am working on two other, well, I have several books going, but two other children's books. And one of them is called Trixie and Flip. They're mischievous elves. And I've just, I think I've just found my illustrator. I'm going to try to publish myself. I think that's a new venture I want to try. And I'm just not sure how to market it. So I'll figure that out as I go, hopefully. Mm. A lot of our listeners right now are aspiring authors. They want to get their first book out there on shelves. Uh, what advice would you offer them? I think just just writing is a big thing. Just to get yourself to write, it's kind of like exercising. Mm. And a lot of writers know what I'm talking about because if you don't get up and get to it, the day slips away and you've missed that writing opportunity. And also taking notes as you go through the day. A lot of times I'll come up with ideas and if I don't write them down, I forget them or little tidbits that I can put in my book. And just remembering, and I think really, I read a lot, and just remembering that someday you may be somebody's favorite author. Well, this is a book for children of all ages. It's called Armor of God. It's written by Andy L. Mabry and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere. You get books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores everywhere. Andy, thank you again for joining me on the show tonight. I had a great time talking with you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Santa's Twin is the new book out right now by Logan Wagner, and I'm really happy to be speaking with Logan's grandmother, Rita, right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Rita, thank you so much for joining me tonight. You're very welcome. Can you tell me what readers can expect with Santa's Twin? Well, the idea came from my grandson, and it was a classroom assignment that they were given to give them experiencing using quotes or quotations. And he came up with this, which is truly a story of love, friendship, brotherhood, mm -hmm. determination. Yes. So my husband and I were very impressed with the outcome and he had showed this work to us and didn't he himself did not think a whole lot about it other than it was an assignment and he got a plus plus on it. But we felt that it needed to be shared with other young people. It was just truly hit a soft spot in our hearts. And that's kind of where this has led to. So his grandpa illustrated the book mm. or story. And it's kind of blossomed into the book. Mm. What age of children do you think would really be into this the most? Probably, I'd say age four to 10 would probably be a good set. And how long of a process was this from writing the book and getting it all put together to be released? Well, it did come out to be three years. Mm. He is now, Logan, the author, is a freshman right now, and he was nine when he began, well, he wrote the story, and my husband, his grandfather, 
pursued with dry, the, the drawings, and then the from the drawings came getting the approval of Logan's parents to proceed with this, and that's how it started. So this has been probably a three- to four-year process. Hmm. I'm sure it was quite a learning experience, jumping through all the hoops. It's, it's a lot of work getting a book published. Uh, what have you learned? What was the most challenging part, would you say, about the whole thing? The most challenging part, I believe, was just getting everybody in full agreement to go ahead with this. Hmm. That was somewhat challenging as far as the cooperation from the publisher that has been fantastic. Any other resources that we've used, which have primarily been the printer and that kind of thing. Hmm. A lot of our listeners are aspiring authors. They want to get a first book out there as well. What words of advice could you offer them right now? Patience mm. would be number one. Probably just the determination of doing something and following through and thinking perhaps that you're creating some kind of legacy mm. would probably be the chief reasons or the chief points from it. Mm. Would you do it again? Would you ever consider writing another book and publishing more? Yes, that would be something that may come to fruition at some point. Hmm. Well, that's wonderful. We certainly encourage you to do that. Writing is such a healthy thing to do, and it's just so wonderful you're putting this wonderful message out there for children. This book is called Santa's Twin, written by Logan Wagner. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rita, thank you again for joining me tonight, sharing with us about Logan's book, Santa's Twin. I had a really nice time talking. Thank you very kindly. The same. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.